Check, check. There we go. Hey, good morning, Grace Hill. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So glad to see all of you here this morning. I, I actually hope my, my voice will be able to kind of keep up with this uh, sermon after that worship set. I was just so grateful uh, for being led by the team there. They, they do such a good job, not at just playing music on this stage, but leading us uh, in worship. Um, you know, one of the things, I just, this is kind of one of my worship tips, all right, because sometimes I come in here and Sunday mornings are really busy for me, and I'm running around helping people set up, getting ready for my sermon, trying to pray, get away, and sometimes my head is just like in a million different directions, and then I come sit here, and it's like, whew, okay, worship, like I got to get my, my heart and my head in this space to just sing truth about God, and so here's one of the things that I do just to get, I, my body has got to lead my heart, and what I mean by that is I just, I just raise my hands. And if you're ever like, man, I have a hard time getting into a spot of worshiping the Lord, that's what I encourage you to do. Just sing loud, raise your hands, let your body go before your heart. Your heart will catch up right with it. It's a great way to posture yourself. It's right, the same way of like getting on your knees before the Lord and praying, right? Just get on the knees to posture yourself in a reverent space and your heart follows right along. So just, just my two cents on that. So love worshiping with you guys this morning. Um, Acts 19, if you have a Bible, Go ahead and get that open uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We're going to be there uh, in a few minutes studying uh, that together. My name is Alan, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and just delighted to be jumping into the Word of God with you. If this is your first time here, we are so glad that you're here. We want to get connected with you today. Today's a great day to do that because we're going to have uh, some food trucks outside afterwards just so we can enjoy a meal together. So I really hope. Uh, that afterwards uh, I have an opportunity to uh, meet you and, and chat with you uh, afterwards. Um, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, Alan, uh, what, what do you have there? Um, and why is there a little table or road case uh, with this uh, stool on it? Well, that's exactly what this is. This is a three-legged stool. Actually, I think it's a plant stand. I don't think this would support my uh, actual weight, but this is a three-legged stool. Now, all of us are engineers in the room, and one of the things that we know about three-legged stools, right, is that every single one of these legs on the stool are indispensable. Every single one of these legs is necessary for the stool to be able to stand and do the very thing that it is designed to do. You take away just one of those legs and everything topples over. Now, the reason why I brought this stool today, I'm, I'm gonna be... Uh, having this stool with me uh, over the next uh, several weeks is because I think this serves as a good illustration for the church. Because I really do believe that in the church, there are three necessary components for the church to be able to do the thing that God designed it to do. For the church to be healthy, for the church to be able to stand. Now, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I've been in pastoral ministry for coming up on now 14 years, I believe. And so I have a lot of experience with church. I have a lot of experience in different levels of the church. I have a lot of studies on church history, different things like that. And one of the things that I'm gonna say is, I think in our context, and when I mean our context, I mean especially like the evangelical church within 
uh, America, because that's kind of our context here at Grace Hill Church. I think within the church, for a really long time, the church has essentially been operating with one leg attached. And so we've kind of tried to stand, but it doesn't work. But here's the thing. The church has been like this, I think, for so long, so long that we've kind of gotten used to it. Or, yeah, that's, that's what we do at the church. This is what the church looks like. Maybe many of us actually were discipled or grew up in churches like this. I think I was. And, and so we go, yeah, that's what the church, man, my whole church experience is this. Until COVID came along. For some of us, for some of us. Because what happened with COVID, what happened with this pandemic that we're in the middle of right now is that, especially last year, we got a good one plus year disruption to normal church life and rhythm. Right? I mean, we were used to coming to church every single Sunday, being here in person, doing our thing. Right? This is our second Sunday back at Herndon Middle School since March 2020. I mean, we got a really long disruption, our church and every other church out there. And here is what I keep hearing from people. And, and, and I, I hear it from people in our church and I hear it from people outside the church. I have lots and lots of pastor friends and I hear them talking about the people of their churches saying the same thing is after this year plus long disruption to normal church life in rhythm, we're now starting to try to come back. We're now trying to get back to those normal rhythms and people are going, I don't know if I miss this. Like if I'm honest, I don't know if I really missed that over the last year. And I kind of feel guilty about it because I feel like I should like this. I've always been told to like this. But the pandemic did something to me. You don't know how many people I've talked to that have said that. I even feel it a little bit in my own heart. And here's what I think. I think that God is trying to teach us something. Because here's the reality, right? The church is God's plan A. That's, it's God's plan A, right? It's God's plan A to raising up disciples and teaching you to mature in your faith. It's God's plan A to reach our neighbors who don't know Jesus. That is gonna be God's method. He told us in the scriptures, he said the gates of hell won't, hell won't prevail against it. And so listen, the, the point here or the thought here isn't, well, we can't abandon the church, but here's the other thing that God is always doing. He's always reforming his church. He's always making his church better. And I think God is in the midst of a, of a really large, amazing work right now, reforming his church. And I think helping us to see, you guys have been trying to operate. You guys have been trying to do the thing that I designed the church to do with just one leg attached. So this morning, I'm, I'm really excited because here's what we're gonna be doing together this morning is we are gonna be talking about the mission and the vision and the strategy of Grace Hill Church. Over a year ago, uh, our elders and our staff and all of our teams, we began 
to really pray through, God, what is the mission and strategy you've given us as a church? We've never asked those questions since we planted this church. We asked those questions before we planted, and now that we're four years old next Sunday, we wanted to ask to go back to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, now that we're here, now that we're established, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, what is the mission and the strategy that you have given us? And so this morning, we're gonna begin to talk about that. And the primary thing that we're gonna talk about over the next several weeks is we're gonna ask the question, what are the three legs, God, the three components that are indispensable, non-negotiable in the church for the church to be able to do the exact thing that you designed it to do? And so that's what we're gonna start talking about. And I'm really excited because this is the culmination of a lot of work, a year's plus of work amongst our leadership here, praying and asking God these questions. All right, real quick, let me show you the mission of Grace Hill Church. And some of you got some materials uh, on the way in in as well, and it's there too. But the mission of Grace Hill Church is to be a diverse community that follows Jesus loves people, and is safe to be known. Now, there's a lot in that statement, and we're gonna take the next several weeks to unpack exactly what we mean and why we chose the specific words in that statement and in all of that. But when we ask what is the mission of Grace Hill, what we're asking is, God, what have you called us to? What have you called us to? All right, but we also wanna ask the question, how are you calling us to fulfill that mission. That's, that's our strategy, right? That's our strategy. And so I wanna share with you also the strategy of Grace Hill Church. How are we gonna do this? And, and you know, we were praying through the strategy and we were kind of asking, okay, how can we really specifically communicate this? And so our method in trying to find that, we go, well, part of our mission is we wanna follow Jesus. It's a good part of the mission statement. And we go, okay, well, Let's look to Jesus and let's ask the question, well, how did Jesus minister to people? What was Jesus' strategy while he was here if we were to study the gospels and see what he would have to, uh, what he would do? And so we came up with four words as we looked at the gospels and looked at Jesus' strategy. And those four words very conveniently spell the acronym this. So it's great because we can say, hey, what's your strategy? Well, this is our strategy, all right? So there's four words, but you can see that. It's kind of small, but it's also in the uh, handout we gave you coming in. The four words we have here for our strategy is teaching, healing, incarnation, and sending. Teaching, healing, incarnation, and sending. When we looked at the life of Jesus, we saw that what did he primarily do? He taught people the word of God. He wanted people to know God through knowing his word. And so that's part of our strategy. We need to teach people the word of God. Then we saw that Jesus went around and he healed people. He healed their bodies. He healed their souls. He healed their minds and their hearts And so Jesus was very adamant about knowing people specifically and being able to minister to their exact need. And so we said, okay, a part of our strategy here at Grace Hill is is healing. And what we mean by that is we need to each know ourselves and where Jesus wants to transform us. All right, number three, we said incarnation. Jesus came, part of his ministry was he was with us. 
He came to be with us. Philippians 2, right? Stepped right out of heaven, put on human flesh, and was with us in his ministry. And so we believe being together, incarnational ministry, is important. And so what we're saying is, incarnation, we need to know one another and be committed to one another as a church. And then finally, sending. Every single person that Jesus discipled, every single person that Jesus healed, he sent them to go proclaim the kingdom of God. He sent them to go love their neighbors, right? Teaching, we want to know God through knowing his word. Healing, we want to know ourselves and exactly where Jesus wants to transform us. Incarnation, we wanna know one another and be committed to one another and sending. We wanna go love our neighbors and proclaim the kingdom of God to them. And so this is our plan over the next four weeks. We're going to talk through each one of these components. And let me give you a hint. The first three of these components, teaching, healing, incarnation, I believe are the three legs to the stool. I believe all three of them, and I'm gonna explain to you why over the next few weeks through from the scriptures, are indispensable when it comes to the church absolutely indispensable when it comes to the church. And I also believe that we will not be successful in reaching our neighbors and loving our neighbors and uh, expressing the gospel to them and having them respond to the gospel without all three legs connected to the stool. Guys, this is so big. We've been working so much on this. We even wrote a whole book on it. All right, if you go to the lobby today, you can go right to the right. There is a book that we wrote on all of these things and where we find these in the scriptures and why we believe this is important to the life of the church. And all of our community groups uh, over the fall are gonna go through this book. And Evan wrote a community group discussion guide to go along with this book as we dig into where do we believe God is leading the church to be healthy, to love our neighbors and reach people for Christ. So more on that in the book a bit later and where you can get that. I'm really excited about it. So, so let's do this. Today, I'm going to teach on one of these legs, the first component of our strategy, being committed to and teaching the word of God. And so we're gonna d- dive into that together in just a minute. But before we do, uh, can I pray? Can I pray over these things? Can I pray over these next four weeks for our church And can I pray that God would do a mighty work in each of us? Let's pray. God, before we step any further, before we dig into Acts 19 here in just a minute, God, I pray that you would do a mighty work within my heart, within the hearts of every single person in this room, within this church, and within our town. God, we are praying for revival and transformation, an Acts 19 level revival and transformation in our own hearts and the heart of this church and in the heart of Herndon. And God, I pray that as we take some time to stop and ask the questions, God, what does it look like for us to be a healthy, faithful church that not only makes mature disciples in Christ, but also reaches our neighbors I pray, God, you would do a work in each of us to bring us together, to unite us, to excite us, God, for what you're doing in the church. God, we confess, we, we, we come before you and we say, we know that you are teaching us something through this experience that we had in the pandemic. 
And God, I pray for my own heart and every person's heart who's listening to this now that God, we would come before you with open hands and willing hearts to say, God, where are you leading us? And we'll follow. So Lord, we pray for your help in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier, let's go to Acts chapter 19. We're gonna be uh, looking into the scriptures together. And as I said, the primary thing we're gonna be talking about today is knowing God through knowing his word. Now, earlier I told you that I believe that the church has been operating really with just one leg attached. And that leg that I believe that has been attached, faithfully attached uh, to the church here has been faithfulness to the word of God. Commitment to the word of God. Believing that the, the, what the words that God has given us in and through the scriptures are true, are right, are without error, no matter what anybody else says around us in the culture, that we're gonna stand firm on this. And I wanna say really clearly, that's a really good thing worth celebrating. And here's the temptation sometimes when we begin to critique the church a bit. As we begin to look at the church and we begin to go, well, you know, that leg didn't work. So let's do this. Let's take this leg off, right? This is what some would do. That leg, committed, commitment to God's word, that didn't really work. Let's try some other's legs, right? Let's just be all about community. Let's just be all about healing and transformation or whatever it is. And we'll put those legs on. And then we wonder why the church still doesn't stand. And so what I wanna say really clearly is that being committed to the word of God, teaching the word of God, no matter the opposition, is an essential, critical, non-negotiable, indispensable component of the church. What Acts 19 is gonna show us is that we just simply will not accomplish our mission and we will see zero transformation in here or out there without a commitment to the word of God. And we're gonna see that here in Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, get that open. Let me just give you a little bit of context and we'll dig into it. You know, the Apostle Paul um, here in Acts, uh, the book of Acts kind of surveys for us several of his missionary journeys. So Paul would kind of travel throughout the Mediterranean world, plant churches, uh, preach the gospel, encourage churches that were already planted, build them up and do those things. So here in Acts 19, we're on one, uh, I believe it's Paul's third missionary journey. And so what he's doing is he kind of sets out and he lands in Ephesus. So Ephesus uh, is like Western Turkey today. Um, he lands in this big city called Ephesus. And Acts 19 is all about uh, Paul's ministry there, uh, a church that he plants there, and the kind of fruit and transformation that they see there in the city of Ephesus. So that's where we're at. And let's dive in. I'm, just so you know, I'm only going to read some chunks of Acts 19. I don't got time to do the whole chapter today. I would love to. Um, but we're just going to do a few chunks of it to get the story here. So Acts 19, starting in verse 1. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. All right, so Paul finds some people who say they are believers, but what is believing in what? Well, let's get some clarification. Verse two, 
Paul asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asks, well, then what baptism did you experience? What do you believe in? And they replied, the baptism of John. So they're referring to John the Baptist. He was the prophet that came on the scene before Jesus did. And he said, hey, repent and be baptized because the Messiah, the one who's about to bring the kingdom of God, he is here, he is coming. So these guys heard that message from John the Baptist somehow, repented, were baptized, and my assumption is they were waiting for the Messiah. And maybe they lived far off or they never heard the message of Jesus or any of that, but they were kind of in that place. They haven't quite heard about the gospel of Jesus yet, but they were waiting for it. Verse four, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So, so what you have here is Paul meets these guys. He declares the word of God to them. They accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're baptized and they're completely transformed now. They are different people. There's 12 of them. So you got Paul and 12 guys, or guys and ladies, not sure what the makeup was. 13 of them in the city of Ephesus. And this is the beginning of the Ephesian church. Right, when Paul writes the letter of Ephesians, that's a letter he writes to this church that they are about to plant. And as we move forward here in Acts 19, what I want you to look for is the power of God's word and the power of God's word when we stay committed to it. All right, let's jump back in, verse eight. Then Paul went to the synagogue, right, where the Jews gathered to worship and preached boldly for the next three months, preached the word of God, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. The way was the, the name of their church, all right? They're called the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Now, my guess is that he gained some believers from the synagogue there. So their group's grown a little bit. So Paul left the synagogue as they were rejecting him, took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So now Paul has moved from the synagogue where the Jews worship to a lecture hall like academia. He's now in like complete secular society or pagan society preaching the gospel. He went to the Jews first. Now he's at pre uh, with the Gentiles preaching. Look at verse 10. This went on for the next two years. Two years preaching the gospel. Two years being committed to God's word. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, now we're expanded beyond Ephesus now, right? Both Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord. So you have to see what, what Paul, what's going on here. Paul entered into Ephesus he got a small group of people. They all became Christians. They all became followers of Jesus. Then they went to the synagogue and they started preaching. He started preaching to the religious establishment of the day. 
all right? The, the main religious kind of Jewish center. He went there, taught them the word of God, was rejected. He went to the Gentiles, to secular society and pagan society, right? And he was committed to preaching the word of God for two years, all right? Jump all the way down to verse 18. Let's pick it back up. It says this, many who became believers, I want you to see what begins to happen in the city of Ephesus. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Go to verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. So the city of Ephesus had this massive temple to the Greek goddess Artemis there. He kept many craftsmen busy, this guy Demetrius. He had a, he had a big business going on. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, right? Creating little shrines to Artemis. But as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. And that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion and everyone rushed to the amphitheater. And if you keep reading there in Acts chapter 19, you'll see that a great riot erupts in the city of Ephesus over the preaching of God's word. And I love this, there's this great verse where Paul's like, it says that Paul wanted to go into the riot, right? And his, his disciples pulled him back and they're like, no, 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 Paul, it's not, it's not a good idea. So I loved Paul's zeal and commitment to preach and defend the word of God. This great riot erupts. And you've got people who are confessing their sin. They're like burning valuable things. They're throwing away their idols. They're like evil business that, that is like making pagan gods and, and fueling idolatry is literally shutting down. I mean, you've got this crazy impact going on in the city over preaching of the word. So as we look at this text this morning, I have, I have two observations I just want us to, to see here. Two observations in the text. All right, here's the first one. First observation I want us to see is this. I want us to observe Paul's commitment to the word amidst opposition. Paul was committed to preach. Here, at least in Acts 19, he did it faithfully for two plus years preaching the word of God, and he got opposition from every side. 
He got opposition from every single side. He got opposition from the Jews, the religious establishment of the day. He got opposition from the pagans who worship Greek gods. He got opposition from secular society, academia. People are like, hey, you're messing with our way of life here. If you even read verses 11 to 17, which we didn't read together this morning, you'll see that there is even great spiritual warfare in the city over the preaching of the word of God. Opposition from every single side. And here's the thing, the reason why people opposed what Paul was preaching is because what Paul preached was messing with people's lifestyles. It was messing with the way people wanted to live their life. The word of God calls for you to surrender your life to Jesus. The word of God will transform you. It will literally change economics in a city. It has the power to do that. And so people did not like that kind of disruption. Grace Hill, we live in a society where if you are committed to teach the whole counsel of God's word, everything that it says, we will get opposition from every single side, every side. Of course, we'll get opposition from secular society. We've, we've got different philosophical worldviews. I mean, if you think of secular society, a main premise of that, right, is this idea that, that you as an individual have the right and the ability to dictate what is true and what is right and what is moral all on your own. And the scriptures say, no, no, no. God is the one through his word who dictates to us what is right and what is true and what is good. So we believe in an external source that will dictate morality and truth to us, but secular society wants to say, no, you get to develop that for yourself. So of course they're gonna be opposed to the preaching of God's word. We should expect that. Paul absolutely expected that. But Paul also got opposition from the religious establishment as well, who got stuck in their ways, got stuck in their traditions. There were a few laws that they really liked to follow that kind of let them be uh, all about religious decorum and things like that. And there were other laws that they would neglect altogether. I mean, we just studied that together as we've been going through the gospel of Luke when we're in Luke chapters nine, 10, and 11. And Jesus came and he rebuked the Pharisees. And what was he doing? He was saying, there are some matters of the law that you follow, great. There are other matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and loving the oppressed and the marginalized that you have blatantly ignored. And we're absolutely in a society today when we preach the whole counsel of God's word, including justice and mercy, that the religious establishment will come after you for that because it disrupts lifestyle, it disrupts comfort, it disrupts tradition, it disrupts the things that we like to do when we do religious things. All sides, just like Paul, we will get it too. And so here's the thing, Paul plants this church in Ephesus and it grows, I mean, it blows up. And uh, later, one of Paul's uh, kind of disciples, mentees, uh, Timothy becomes the pastor of this church in Ephesus, and Paul would write him letters to encourage him. That's First and Second Timothy. And so Second Timothy was a letter that Paul wrote to uh, Timothy when he was towards the end of his life, 
Um, Paul was in jail in Rome waiting to be executed. And this is his final letter to Timothy. And I want you to see what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. Because Paul's like, hey, I know Ephesus. I planted that church that Timothy's now pastoring. And he says, Timothy, this is chapter four. This is the end of his final letter to Timothy. And, and this is what he says to him. Chapter four, verse one, he says this, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, whether you're seeing massive fruit or you're not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. I want you to see something. Look at this in verse three. He says, for a time is coming when people, listen, he's not talking about the secular society. He's talking about people in the church right here. Verse three, there comes a time when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Oh, how easy it is to do that today. That's YouTube, that's your podcast, so much good there. Such a great tool, so easy to find teachers who will tickle your ears and say what you want them to say. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Verse five, but you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. He essentially said, Timothy, preach the word. A lot of people aren't gonna like that. You will suffer, but fulfill your ministry. Paul's final words to this pastor in Ephesus planted right here in Acts chapter 19. Paul was committed to the word of God amidst opposition from every single side. Second observation I want you to see here in the text in Acts 19 is this, the transformative power of the word of God. The transformative power of the word of God. Like, I just want you to think about the impact that the faithful teaching of God's word by this church and by Paul had on the city of Ephesus. I mean, it changed people's lifestyles. It changed people's worldviews. It changed people's religion that they grew up believing since they were little kids. It changed the supply and demand forces of the city. I mean, imagine that here. Imagine that here in Herndon, where the, the, the com- being committed to preaching and teaching the word of God, the kind of impact it could have here. Like, imagine, imagine this with me for a second. If everyone in Northern Virginia, in this area that we're in, heard the word of God, a transformative work occurred in their heart, and they go, I am no longer gonna organize my life around the pursuit of wealth. I'm gonna organize my life around following Jesus and loving my neighbor. Imagine what that would do to the city. It would impact supply and demand. There would be professions that would go out of business. Imagine if the kind of impact we had started to shut down evil business like it did here in Acts 19. Like imagine if the abortion clinics around here 
had to shut down, not because we legislated them out, but because there were just no more demand because the hearts and minds of people were changed. Or imagine if, you know, the, 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 the webpage in Fairfax County, six pages of kids who have no home who are waiting to be adopted. Imagine if they didn't have to put that up there anymore because hearts and minds were changed and rooms and homes were opened. Imagine if the Fairfax County Sexual Trafficking Unit had to shut down in the police department. And my friend Sally Fayez, she lost her job because she's the victim services coordinator because they didn't need her anymore because this stuff got shut down. That's the kind of transformative work preaching all of God's word. Every bit of it, even the stuff that calls us to change our lives and spend our money differently. What if that occurred here in Northern Virginia? And listen, that kind of transformation, it didn't come in Ephesus because Paul was a great preacher. Actually, did you know the word says that he wasn't? He said that Paul's kind of awkward to listen to. It wasn't Paul's great moral preaching or moral persuasion that changed things. It was the word of God. It was because Paul believed Romans 1.16 that says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The message of the gospel is God's power for salvation. It can have a transformative effect. And I'm curious today, family, I'm curious today if you have felt, seen, experienced this kind of transformation in your heart. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church your whole life. I'm wondering, has the word of God changed you? Have you seen those moments where you go, man, my whole worldview has changed. My whole goals in life have changed. The things that I'm passionate about have, have changed because the word of God can do that kind of work in your heart. And it does that kind of work in your heart when you surrender your life to Jesus, where you first surrender him, you say, Jesus, I trust that you have taken care of my sin on the cross and that I don't have to work my way out of that. I trust that when you say that I'm your child, that that's never gonna change. I trust Jesus that you have purchased me by your blood on the cross. And so you can have all of me because I believe down to my bones that your word is good and the things that you call me to, even though the world says that's crazy, the things that you call me to are gonna bring a joy inside of me that I've never felt or experienced ever. And so I trust you. I'm gonna step forward into that kind of life now. That's all that's required for God to begin a transformative work in your heart. And I'm wondering how many people here, man, they've called themselves Christians their entire life. They've grown up in church, but they've never stepped into that. And this morning is a great day to do it. I believe that that kind of transformation is possible in you. I believe it's possible in this church, and I believe that an Acts 19 type transformation is possible in Herndon in Northern Virginia. It is so big that we go, there's no humanly way that works. It's right, it's not how God's word works.
But what God asks of us as a church is he says, I am asking you to be committed to the word of God. I'm asking that for that to be a non-negotiable. That leg is indispensable. And the reality is this, is that as we as a church, if we ever go away from preaching God's word, even when culture doesn't like it, even when the government wants to sanction it, if we ever go away from preaching God's word, even when maybe the religious establishment doesn't like it, because it's going against what they want, if we are ever not faithful to teach the whole counsel of God's word, the church will not stand and we will not reach our neighbors as Jesus has called us to in the great commission, the actual mission of the church, which is to go make disciples of all nations. That's a key component of our strategy at Grace Hill. So here's what that means for us. What that means for us is number one, we will always preach from God's word. We will always preach. We always have and we always will preach from God's word. We will do sermon series where we're walking through books of the Bible and we'll do topical series that are rooted in the word of God. But we will always preach from God's word at Grace Hill, even if there are threats even if they want to take our tax exempt status or Fairfax County wants to boot us from the school, they've done it once. <laughs> we survived, Lord will, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? It, that's okay. There will be opposition. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And the second thing that this means, and I'm really excited about this, our, our pastoral team has been working hard on this, is starting in late September, we really want to lead you as the church. We really want to start to read and study the Bible together. And so what that means is that starting in late September, we as an entire church, as far as Bible study goes, personal and group Bible study, is we are gonna study the book of Romans together starting in late September. Every week, our pastoral team is going to shoot out the reading for the week that all of us will be in, along with additional resources to help you study it, uh, uh, dig into it, journal on it, apply it to your life. And our encouragement to you is that you would take that, you would take that, and you would find maybe one or two people in your community group, or maybe it's your household, or maybe a few other people in the church, or maybe it's just by yourself, and you would study that every single time we put that out, every single week. And as a church, our desire is that we will always be reading the Bible together. And we'll always be studying the Bible together and we'll always be in the same passage of scripture. And as you bump shoulders in the hallway here at church or as you uh, talk to each other uh, throughout the week that we're all in this place of, man, I was just so impacted what Paul had to say in Romans three. Or man, did you read that in Romans six this week? Man, that was so confusing. What the heck is he trying to say? That we just be reading the Bible together because we believe, especially moving forward in this society, that we have to be rooted in the word of God. So look for more details on that. That's coming uh, late September. We're going to jump into the book of Romans together. But Grace Hill Church, here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for me, and I want to pray for our city. That through the faithful proclamation of God's word, because we will do that. That will happen. Through the faithful proclamation of God's word, that God would do a transformative work, an Acts 19 level work in your heart, my heart, and in the heart of our town. 
Let's pray. God, as I read Acts 19, there's a piece of my heart that says, great story, no way that happens here. And I confess my unbelief to you, God. I confess, God, that my faith can be small. And Lord, I pray for my heart and our heart here as a church, Lord, that we would have a big faith that would believe that, God, yes, you can do a work, an Acts 19-sized work in our hearts, in our church, and in this city. And so, God, I pray for the people in this room. Oh, God, if there is anyone in this room, whether they grew up in church or whether they still don't know if they believe in Jesus, God, I pray right now, right in this moment, that they would surrender their life to you, their entire life to you. And that, God, you would change and transform them. You would start that work right now in their hearts. Call them to yourself right now, God. God, I pray in our church that you would do a work of transformation, a work of revival, a work of, of causing us to believe in the things that you have called us to do. Preach the word. Trust in you to transform us, to gather together, and to go and love our neighbors well. And so God, as we roll out this vision and mission, Lord, these are just communication tools. We're just trying to communicate the things you've called us to in your word. And God, I pray you would unite all of us around it. And Lord, unite us around the conviction that we must be committed to your word no matter the opposition. All of it. And God, I pray that you would do a work before our eyes where we would say, oh my gosh, that, 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 is, that can only be God. God, would you do that work in every heart in this room? Would you do that work in this church? And would you do that work in Herndon and Northern Virginia? We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.